You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 256, Creating a Culture of Discipleship, part one. Here's a question for you. How does your church do discipleship? Does your church do discipleship? And what what do I mean when I say do discipleship? You know, the last instructions that Jesus gave before he was taken back into heaven, had to do with discipleship. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this. This is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, and the them he's talking about his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You notice he didn't say, go and make Christians. He didn't say, go and make converts. He didn't say, go and find a bunch of people who will pray a certain kind of prayer with you, or who will join your church. He didn't say, go and make church members. He said, make disciples. So, if those were Jesus' last words, his last command before he was taken into heaven, what does that mean for us? And does your church have a culture of discipleship? Now, before we get going, I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. We actually deal with some of these very important things talking about discipleship, and we actually look at the ministries of these two most eminent apostles in the early church, Peter and Paul, and we look and see how they planted churches, how they uh, created disciples, how they raised up other leaders. And it's a very, very informative study. It's a, a really powerful book, definitely one you need to have on your shelf because of the history and everything that goes into it, we look, we delve really deep into the Acts of the Apostles. The first half of the Acts uh, deals with the Apostle Peter's ministry. The second half deals with the Apostle Paul. So, Peter and Paul in Acts, make sure you check it out. Well, all right, we're back, and we're talking about discipleship. Now, here's a question for you. You know, when we talk about discipleship, and I, and I talk to a lot of church leaders, a lot of them say, well, we, we do discipleship informally. And actually, what they'll say is, well, we do, we do a lot of things informally. We develop leaders informally. We develop 
disciples informally. We, we you know, raise up people to serve in the church informally. Well, that, that's, that's fine, and I kind of know what you're trying to say. I just wonder if we're being as effective as we possibly can when we just kind of say, well, you know, we don't really have a structure. We just do it informally. And I, I wonder, really, what are going to be the results of our ministry? Not judging, just curious. Uh, another question to ask when we're, we're looking at whether or not our church has discipleship, is it a one-on-one program or maybe a one-on-two, one-on-three, or is it more of a formal group setting? Um, you know, look, one-on-one is great. I know a lot of really wonderful Christians who over the years have, have spent time one-on-one discipling other believers. Um, you know, and it's it's a powerful thing. Uh, and, and other people would say, no, no, it takes place, you know, in more of a, you know, a small group or, or something else. Um, one of the things that we do have to understand, though, is discipleship does not occur on Sunday mornings. During your worship service, nobody's getting discipled there. You know, we're coming in, we're singing, we're worshiping, we're praying, we're reading the scriptures, we're listening to a message, we're, you know, maybe taking communion, whatever. Maybe there's, and there should be some time of connection and fellowship before and and after. But during that hour, hour and 15 minutes, or hour and a half, however long, how long your, your, your services are, really that's not discipleship. On Sunday mornings, people are uh, worshiping. They're, they're, they're connecting with God. They're, they're being inspired. They're uh, being taught. They're, they're hearing a message. They're being challenged. Um, you know, so there's a lot going on, but I, but I really don't think it's fair to say that that is, is part of our discipleship ministry. So where does the discipleship take place? Where do we teach people what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That's really what a disciple is, a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to teach somebody, and where where does that take place? Now, in more traditional churches, uh, the answer that I often hear is, well, our discipleship ministry takes place in our Sunday school setting. And that's, that's a possibility. Um, and in many cases, it may be true. But here's what I know. Growing up in a, in a traditional denominational church, the Sunday school was not always a discipleship setting. Uh, usually it was someone um, teaching, you know, whether it was a mixed group or a you know, men's group or a women's group or even a couple's group. Um, and it was somebody teaching um, but not necessarily discipleship. You know, I think sometimes we think that discipleship involves, you know, just a Bible study. If I, if I teach you certain principles about the Christian faith, if I teach you um, how to read the Bible, if I teach you how to pray, and, you know, you come and you sit and listen to me, you know, teach, and you, you take notes, and, and, and you know, we've, we've had some discipleship. That, that's really not true. That's really not true. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. We, we see Jesus doing some teaching, absolutely. He did spend time teaching his disciples, but it was much more than that. It was much more hands-on. It was much more interactive. Um, I think too often we, we think that if, if, if I just impart knowledge to you, you're going to take that knowledge and you're going to become a, a better disciple of Jesus. And it's just 
really uh, not not fair to say that. It's not true. So so if, if, if in the traditional churches, maybe discipleship is looked at as something um, accomplished in a Sunday school setting or a Bible study setting, I think in our non-traditional churches, we tend to, to say that our discipleships take takes place in our small groups. And whatever you want to call them. Some people call them small groups, life groups. Our particular church calls them connect groups, um, home groups, whatever. But you've got a small group where people come together once a week, once every two weeks, and they're connecting, they're hanging out, they're, 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 there's probably some spiritual discussion and some prayer and some food and all kinds of fun things. Um, is, is that a discipleship setting? And it's kind of the same answer as the, the Sunday school class. It can be. It can be. But I, uh, I'm a coach for, for, for a number of our Connect groups, and, um, you know, some are genuinely discipleship groups. People, whether they know it or not, they are learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the context of that group. And then other groups, I'd have to say they're really not. And it's no slam on them. It's not a, a criticism. They're just not that kind of a group. Um, I, you know, I've got some friends that, that run a running group. And there, the the emphasis is on getting together, running, you know, maybe have some prayer at the end. And it's a great entry-level group, especially to invite people who aren't part of the church to, to, to bring them into the church. So that's, you know, uh, one example of that type of group. I've got some other friends um, who run a shooting group. They meet at the range once a week, and, um, you know, they'll have a short devotion at the beginning, and then they'll get on the range and shoot. And again, they're having a great time. Um, this is part of it. Just connecting is really, really important. And it's a great entry-level group for people who don't go to the church. So, so those groups aren't necessarily designed to be discipleship groups, but others are. Um, you know, and so it's a, it's a very important thing. It's a very powerful thing. But here's, here's what I think makes the difference is it's our intent. You know, the guys in the shooting group, their intention is to get together and connect and maybe be a doorway or a gateway for people to come into the church. But in other settings, the, the, the Connect Group leaders realize that, that they can uh, really help take people deeper in their relationship with Christ. So it is more intentional in helping people understand what it means to be a disciple. So what I want to do is, is we're going to start um, this, and, and, and I'm going to go through an article by a guy named Jim Putman. And we're going to just, I'm going to pull some of his ideas. It's a really good article on... Uh, really how small groups, uh, how, how the small group ministry in a church can uh, facilitate this idea of discipleship. And so we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to pull some of the thoughts from, from the article, and then I've got some other thoughts of my own I'm going to share. And we'll do this over the next week or two, depending on how far we get. So the first thing that, that we want to do, and, and again, pulling from, from his article is, you know, one of the great ways that small groups help people develop into disciples of Jesus to really understand what it means to to be a follower of Jesus is the the small group can help this person and the people in the group initiate or to get started on the journey of self-discovery. Now this is this is interesting wording. We don't we don't necessarily talk this way sometimes when we talk about self-discovery. That almost sounds like a, a secular uh, thing that we might, you know, secular term, secular phrasing. But but actually this really is 
a, a very, very important point because when we are connected with a group of people, and we'll just say that you're, you know, you've got maybe three or four couples and a couple of singles in a small group. Um, of course, the, the dynamic can be different. Just as an example, and you're you're in this group together, and maybe you're studying a book, maybe you're, you know, doing some type of Bible study, but you're sharing life together. There's interaction. There's discussion. We're what did I learn this week? Um, you know, one of the things that our church is doing is, is we, for the last couple of years, we've given everybody in the church a one-year Bible. And so we've actually got connect groups, discipleship groups that are built around reading the one-year Bible. And it's coming together and saying, man, what did God speak to you this week? What are you learning? And so there's some great discussion. So this idea of self-discovery, learning to, to see things in my life that I may not have seen before if I was left by myself. Um, Putman uses the, the example of, um, you know, a child can, can, you know, you can tell a child that the, uh, the, the stove is hot. But when I was a kid, I think I was five years old, you know, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove. But, you know, is it really hot? And I remember touching the stove and burning myself. Now, I only made that mistake once. That was a self-correcting problem. But that was discover. Uh, you know, that was, a, that was a time of discovery for me. I realized that burned really bad. I left a burn on my hand. I got a couple of blisters. I cried. I screamed. It was terrible. But you know what? Forever and ever, I'm in. I won't go and put my hand on a hot stove. So there is this idea of, you know, discovering um, through experience. But when we're doing together, you know, we're talking through our struggles with our small group. We're, we're having... You know, we're hearing, uh, you know, the person sitting next to us talk about, you know, one of their issues at work and just how they're having trouble dealing with their boss. And, you know, you may not have even thought about the fact that, you know, you got issues at work too or issues somewhere else, and they're they're similar, and you're seeing how they dealt with it. And you're learning maybe the right way and the wrong way to deal with things. And so this is part of our growth in Christ. We're, we're reinforcing the the good things that we hear from our friends and maybe we're we're learning you know when we hear them say that you know listen I really blew it this week I yelled at my kids or I got in this big argument with my wife just because I I was having a bad day and you know and and and, and we're hearing maybe the wrong way to handle things and so we're we're learning together we're, we're getting this self discovery of learning how to to live as a christian how to identify issues that that uh that really need to be dealt with. And and what we find is, instead of having somebody just teach me that I shouldn't yell at my kids, when when my friend in the small group tells me, yeah, you know, I feel really bad, you know, I got yelled at my kids, and, you know, we worked it out, and I asked them to forgive me, but, you know, I'm catching something. I'm learning something. Oh, that's that's good. I need to make sure I don't do that in my life. So, so initiating self-discovery is really powerful because we're learning together. Another really important way that we become and develop our um, learning how to follow Jesus is, um, and this is number two, is a small group really invites us to be transparent and to be accountable. Now, this is such a powerful thing. When you're in a small group setting, where people can share some details from their life, this is so 
powerful. Um, I was in a small group recently. As I mentioned, I coach several groups, and um, this was a group of men. We were actually talking about leadership, and um, one of the men in the group really opened up and became very vulnerable and very transparent and shared some really difficult things that, that he had overcome over the last year or so. And it was really a story of triumph. It was quite encouraging, but the fact that he was willing to share it gave the gave permission to a couple of other people to, to share some of the struggles that they were dealing with as well. Now, one of the things that we, we always talk about, you know, when we talk about transparency and we talk about accountability is we want to create a safe environment. So we tell people, we tell our small group leaders at the very beginning of, of, of your small group, you know, each semester or however you meet, let the people know that this is a safe place. You know, we ask for confidentiality, confidentiality in our small group. So in other words, if somebody was to share something in their small group that they were dealing with, they nobody else in the group would share that outside the group unless they had that person's permission. So there's a, it's, it's a safe place. It's a secure place. And, um, you know, so transparency is very, very important to, to get our struggles out into the open, um, out of the dark, to, to, to really, you know, talk about some things that we're dealing with, uh, really is the first step towards victory. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. And, you know, that's really one of those verses I just don't like because I don't want to confess my sins to you. I'll confess them to God. But here's what I find when I confess my sins to others, and I'm not talking about just random people on the street, but people that I'm in a relationship with. When I can talk about my struggles, that's the first step towards my healing. God will forgive me if I confess my sins, but I get forgiven. I mean, I get healed and set free when I confess to other people. Now, of course, there's there's wisdom here. If you're in a mixed group, men and women, there's probably certain things that you're not going to want to share, and that's fine. And um, you know, there's a time and place for everything. But transparency and accountability. But I will say this: I've been in mixed groups where uh, you know people have just shared all kinds of things. Let's just put it that way: you know, struggles that they were going going through, and it was a real testimony to the type of security and in, in the uh, how safe they felt in that atmosphere to to be able to share some very, very difficult things. So transparency, but then also accountability. You know, and accountability is is where, you know, your friends can come to you and say, you know, hey, listen, man, I'm just checking up on you. You know, you shared about that thing and, you know, um, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. And, you know, how can we pray for you this week? And of course, we're praying for each other in the meeting, but we're also praying for um, you know, praying during the week. And, you know, if, if, if somebody says that they're struggling with a habit or if they've got a bad attitude or if they're you know, trying to work through a relationship and then our friend comes up or maybe even in the middle of the week sends us a text and says, hey, listen, I'm thinking about you. How you doing with that thing that we talked about? You know, there's something powerful. This is not judgmental. This is not control. This is love. This is the highest form of love because you've been transparent. You've opened your heart up. You've shared something very difficult, and you've invited your friends to come and say, man, I'm just checking on you. You doing okay? Powerful, powerful stuff. So, you know, and then uh, Putnam actually says, you know, that, that we're much more likely to recognize when the Holy Spirit, you know, really begins to nudge us because, we're, we're, we're being in account, we're in accountability. 
we put ourselves in a situation where, you know, it's not me trying to overcome this thing. It's me, the Holy Spirit, and some good friends. We're working on this thing, and we're working on it together. Well, I'm going to stop there. We're about out of time. So we've still got several more um, really, really awesome points to go through as we talk about um, how we can use our small groups or even, you know, Sunday school, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. It's how we can get intentional in creating a culture of discipleship in our churches. In our churches. So um, by all means, come back next week. We'll finish this up. And, uh, and I'd love to hear from you. What do you think? You know, we, we talked about two things today. We talked about how um, a small group setting uh, can initiate this journey of self-discovery. And we talked about how, how a small group setting can help us to be, or it invites us to be transparent and accountable. And i just love to know your thoughts on those things. So go to davidspell.com, leave me a question or comment. While you're there, make sure you drop your email address in so you can get my free newsletter, and my blog will just come right into your inbox. And uh, it's just a great way for us to stay in touch. So friends, thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next week on Leading and Learning.